You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Pastor Ryan. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. We're in Nehemiah chapter 1. And uh, I can relate to Nehemiah a lot because, you know, I mean, I think back of how we started the church. And I mean, if we were over in the movie theater and then what we would do is after church on a Sunday, we would do these vision tours. And so we'd get folks and we'd drive over and we'd come over to the property and it was just a disaster. It was a wasteland. The property lied in ruins. It was once upon a time a beautiful wedding venue, a bar, a restaurant, live music event venue. And some of you are like, yeah, I was there a lot, you know. And I love this place. And so, great. We're glad you're here. Um, and so, I remember uh, we came on, these pro- on this property, and you couldn't even drive a car to the chapel because the parking lot was just filled with uh, debris and everything. And it was really rough. And people were discouraged. They're like, are you sure, Pastor Ryan? Like, we could do this. And I'm like, listen, man, I grew up back in Arkansas. We had 40 acres of woodland. And my dad took me out as a teenager and said, look here, son, we're going to clear all this and make this pasture. Here's an axe. And so literally for 10 years as boys, there's three boys, we all just went to work and literally, uh, I mean, we had to get heavy machinery in there, but we were chainsawing. One time my brother cut his leg and he's like, I think I cut my leg. (laughs) And he's like, I think I need to go to the doctor. Cut his leg with a chainsaw. I'm like, man, this is crazy. So, but we just kept going and going and going. And by the time, you know, God brought me here to Phoenix, it's like, I believe that we could do it because I'd been there before. And doesn't that happen sometimes? You get into a situation and you look back over your life and you're like, feels like God was preparing me for that. And so uh, this property, I can relate to Nehemiah, you know, because he's rebuilding a dream. He's rebuilding a dream. He's going back to Jerusalem. He's going to make it beautiful and the best and awesome. And so like, you know, it's really cool. I remember we'd walk over to the uh, kids' room and I, I would tell them, it used to be a bar room, guys. But imagine this, from the bar room to the Sunday school classroom, there you will find North Valley. And that's what we did. And so, and literally, the, the little nursery over here, that used to be a marijuana nursery over there. Like when we showed up, I'm not, I kid you not, there were folks that were living on the campus and that was a grow room. So now we just have little babies, do a little nursery over there with babies and stuff. So... It's kind of a crazy, fun story, and I can relate to it, and we can relate to it as a church, because we've been there. We know what it's like to rebuild something, and we're still rebuilding, and so you saw the thatched roofs. We we took in those down, and because the city was on to us about fire stuff, and so we said, okay, we'll clean it up. Everybody calls and says, are y'all building stuff? We're like, no, we're tearing it down, actually, Um, but but anyway, we can relate, and and one area we can't relate to, perhaps, because most of us are average size, but Nehemiah was a super short guy. Like, I mean, his name, Nehemiah. That was good, huh? <laughs> All right, we're going to jump in. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. And we're going to look at this, and the title of the message is Teamwork Makes the Dream Work. I love, I love this series. I'm going to miss not being in this series, learning from the giants. So Nehemiah, I think we all can relate to him besides how short he is. All right. So the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Shizliv, for Shizl, in the 20th year as I was in Susa in the citadel. The citadel. Uh, he's in luxury. Uh, 
he, he's there. He's the author. Uh, in verse 2, he says that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked him concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Here's what they said. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, they're, they're in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem's broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And notice what Nehemiah does. This is bad news, by the way. Uh, walls broken down means the city's not safe. Walls broken down means the people aren't safe. Walls broken down means the temple's not safe. Walls broken down are not good. So here we go. Nehemiah, what's he going to do? He's going to do MC Hammer. He's going to pray just to make it today. Here we go. Verse 4. <laughs> All the old people at 40 and up, they're like, ha, ha, ha. The, the rest of you are like, what are you talking about? I'll tell you what's even more comical is I was the idiot who bought the MC Hammer pants. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Paid like $40. I could have gone to like Steinmart and made my own, you know. It was terrible days. But it's all coming back. Watch, y'all are going to show up to church in Hammer pants next week. <laughs> like, I'm a, if I do acid wash, y'all will be into that, you know. It's all back. So I'm like, I told my kids, and they're like, I've been wearing Vans since I was a teenager. I'm like, you know, back in the day, if you were wearing Vans and you weren't a skateboarder, you were called a poser. <laughs> now it's cool. Everybody wears them. So I'm like, all right. So that has nothing to do with the message. Verse 4. <laughs> As soon as I heard these words, I sat down, this is Nehemiah, and I wept and mourned for days. That's different. Nope, most people don't do that when they hear a problem like that. I mean, it's got to be catastrophic news for you. Maybe you get a phone call, so a loved one has died. I mean, it's a life-changing moment for him. He wept for days, mourned. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Verse 5, and I said, O Lord God of heaven. Heaven, the great and awesome God, and that's an awesome word, and we use it in songs like everything is awesome with the Lego movie. We overuse the word awesome, but here is an appropriate usage of the word awesome. He says, the great and awesome God who keeps the covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He's pouring out his heart. Verse six, he says, Lord, let your ear be attentive of your eyes. Be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I, I now pray before you day and night and the people of Israel, your servants, confessing sins of the people which we've sinned against you. And watch this. Even I, my father's house, have sinned. Some of us, when we get to prayer and it's passionate prayer, we get to the even I moment where you're like, you're praying for somebody, you're praying for something, you know there's a big problem, there's a big issue in your life, and then you kind of come to this holy moment and you say, Lord, even I, even me, I'm guilty. Verse 7, he says, we've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules. You've commanded your servant Moses. Verse 8, watch this, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples, verse 9. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven from there, I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Verse 10. They are your servants. This guy's preaching. He's praying with power. He's telling God, don't you remember? Then he says, these are your people. These are your promises. Verse 10, they are your servants and your people 
whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight and fear your name and give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Who's this man? The king. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah just pleads for help and favor with God amongst this king. He's about to make a request. If you've got a Bible and you looked in verses chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, you see that he makes this bold request before the king. He goes before a king. He's a cupbearer, a cupbearer. Uh, I imagine this gigantic cup, like da-da-da-da. He's holding this cup. But no, it used to be any kind of like wine glass, some kind of nice glass. But back then in the day, they would poison wine in the, every festival, every festivity, every celebration. They, they just drank a lot of wine. And so the thing that Nehemiah would do is he would actually make sure that the wine came from good places and sources, knew the vineyards, knew the, the laborers. He knew where it came from, and then he would sip it and make sure he wouldn't fall over and die, you know, and it protected the king. It was like a kind of a security guard for the king, and he was really, really close to him. Nehemiah is, has a great relationship with the king. The king has great power, and he basically says to him, let me go. Let me go back to Jerusalem. It's my hometown. The walls are broken down. And the king says, yes. The queen says, yes. He goes. He makes his request. In verses 9 through 16, he, gets, he shows up in Jerusalem, and he goes like on a reconnaissance mission. Like we did when we got here on the property, we're walking around doing the, vol- the vision tour, saying this is what this is going to be like. This, and everybody was saying to me, this is too much. It's too messed up. It's not going to work. We met with the city right back there in the back corner one day, and the city showed up. They said, you want to buy this property? You want to redeem it? Here's what you need to do. Get a bulldozer and bulldoze every building and start over. And I told them, I, the builder was right next to me. I said, I don't, no, we're not doing that. And the guy said, well, you need to because we're not going to let you open up. There's no way you can rectify all the mistakes. My adrenaline started pumping and the builder was like, hey, Ryan, chill. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were told no, 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 no. It's not going to work. And it did work. We did reconnaissance. We were there. Nehemiah is doing reconnaissance in verses 9 through 16. And the people are discouraged. Everybody's discouraged. Nehemiah, it's too big. We can't do it. But then this is what he says. Verse 17, chapter 2. Then I said to them, hey, you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem we may no longer suffer derision. Verse 18, and I told them that the hand of my God had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me and they said, let's rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for the good work. Chapter three, they start rebuilding. Chapter six, they finish the wall. The end of chapter six, The nations start to notice and give glory to God. The God of Israel helped them. They rebuilt that place. It's not ours, it's theirs. How did he do it? He asked for help. Maybe you're facing some issue in your life. Your life is in ruins. You got a family drama. You got 
a business struggle. You got a financial issue. What's your problem is my question. What are you struggling with? If you're not in trouble right now, uh, you've been in trouble before or you're going to be in trouble later. So here's the question I want to ask and then I'm going to answer it and we're going to look at the life of Nehemiah is when should we ask for help? Because it takes a lot to ask for help. Nehemiah knew when to ask for help. Sometimes we ask for help too much, too fast, right? Like a kid, uh, how do I spell this word? Like you didn't even try, sound it out. Cat. How do I spell that? Sound it out. Like you got to try to do something. But notice what Nehemiah does. Um, We're going to learn when should we ask for help? Number one, when you've prayed about it. Nehemiah prayed about it. What I like about Nehemiah is that his prayer, listen to me, precedes the plan of action. You and I are doers. We're not prayers by nature. We're doers. Let's do something. We want things to happen. So what do we do? We just go to work. We do what we need to do. Try to fix the problem. Nehemiah is a great example to say, time out, not a good idea. Let's not do that. Let's pray. Um, If you're a note taker, outline maker, I've got five secrets to his prayer life I'll just review with you. They're not on the screens. They're not on anything. um, But I I preached an entire message on this one point right here. So I'll reduce it to like 90 seconds. So Nehemiah's five secrets to his prayer life. Number one, he acknowledged that God was awesome. Remember that? He starts in prayer and he's like, God, you're awesome. Awesome is an appropriate word for God. We overuse it for everything. He says, God, you are awesome. No one is like you. You're the God of heaven and earth. You're sovereign over all nations. You are awesome, God. Number one, he acknowledged that God is awesome. Number two, he prayed with passion. When was the last time you prayed with passion? It says that he wept and he mourned and fasted for three days. Does anything you pray about stir you emotionally? We think emotions are a sign of weakness. No, it's not at all. Uh, Emotion is a part of who we are and and that we're tied together, physical, emotional, spiritual beings. And Nehemiah, number two, he prayed with passion. What are you passionate about? Are you praying for those things? Pray with passion over some issue that you're up against. Number three, he took responsibility. He says, even I, Lord, even I've sinned. Even I've messed up. Even my family. Even I. Even I. Number four, he relied on God's power. He said, God, you're powerful. You're all the almighty. He knew God had a power that he didn't have. And then number five, listen to this. He asked for success. And so many times we think success is a bad thing. No, Nehemiah asked for it. He said, would you give me success? I want success. What's success for Nehemiah? Let's rebuild that wall for the glory of God. Let's do that. But I need you, God. I'm reminding you of your promises. I'm reminding you of your power and how great you are. Grant me success before that king. What king do you need to face? What success are you asking for? When you've prayed about it, that's when you can ask for help. Let your prayer precede your plan of action. You see what I'm saying? Let's say, let, me, let me say that again. Let your prayer precede your plan of action. 
that's a good place to be. When, when you've got something and you're like, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer about this. So, all right, number two, what do we see? We see this, uh, when you sense God's approval. See, Nehemiah prayed according to God's plan. He felt confident to be able to just go for it. He risked his life by going to the king and saying, I want to leave and I'm going to Jerusalem. He sensed God's approval. You say, well, how how do you know that? Well, in chapter 2, verse 8, he says this really cool phrase. He says, the hand of God was upon my life. In verse 18, he says, the hand of my God was upon my life. In other words, Nehemiah said, basically, God's favor was with me. I knew that. Isn't that a good feeling as a believer that you sense that God's hand is on your life and you have a quiet confidence that it's going to be okay? See, that's what you and I need, friends. If we're going to face big projects, if we want to see the dream work, we need to make sure we team up with God and that God's hand is upon our life. Nehemiah had this quiet sense of confidence that led him to go for it. When you sense God's approval, you can, you can move forward and you can start asking for help. I remember when I uh, moved out to Phoenix, I told my uh, parents, I said, uh, Mom, Dad, we're going to plant a church out in Phoenix. And they said, great, uh, you know, you and Leslie, you've got some little kids and you had a stable job back in Little Rock and you're leaving that and you had a retirement plan, and you're leaving that and you're going to go raise support. Okay, who do you know in Phoenix? I'm like, nobody. What church is going to help you? None. What kind of uh, savings do you have? Very little. How are you going to do that? I don't know. You sure about this? Yeah. I remember flying over to Phoenix and we were visiting different cities and we were from New York to from Manhattan to Madrid. I mean, that's how far our scope was. Laid out a map and prayed about different cities, went and visited different cities. And I remember flying over Phoenix and this overwhelming like sense like God had a grappling hook attached to my heart and was pulling it down. And I could see the, the massive city at night and the grid, you know, that powerful grid, that beautiful landscape of all these people all around the valley. And I remember thinking the Lord saying, these are my people whom I've got a plan to redeem a great multitude of sinners. And, and you need to come and you need to plan a church. And so we did. And so once I felt God's approval in that, you know, it was easy to say to my friends in Dallas and, and, and uh, Montana, I would say, hey, listen, God's called me to plant a church. My wife and I, like God's calling is on us. We sense his blessing. Will you join us? Uh, how are we going to do that? I said, I don't know. Sell your house. Move over here. Come with us. We'll just figure it out. Literally, this is what some of them said. Okay, sounds cool. I'll quit today. And then that's what we did. J.C. Revlin, she's one of our guest services. She's one of the folks that came here, uh, left her job, got out of the house, came here and moved here and helped us start the church. When you sense God's approval, you can start moving forward faster and ask for help with more confidence. It sounds over-spiritualized, but let me tell you something. We, have, we are spiritual beings. So if you want to get something done in the physical, you better figure out how to get it done in the spiritual first. Because we're not just physical beings. We're spiritual beings. And so if we're going to access, if we're going to change things physically, we need to figure out how to change things spiritually. And we need approval from God and a confidence in God to move forward in any project that we're working on. Number three, 
when do you ask for help? When you know you can't do it alone. When you know you can't do it alone. Nehemiah, he said this in, in verse 3. He said, listen, we're in great trouble. Not little trouble. He just said great trouble. We're in great trouble. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. Again, in verse 17 of chapter 2, he said, Jerusalem lies in ruins. And you see the trouble. You can see it. You could smell it. You knew there was massive trouble. When do you ask for help? When you know you can't do it alone. That's when you ask for help. Is everybody going to help you? No. no, Not everybody's going to help you. In fact, probably fewer people are going to help you than you would want. And when you're in trouble and you ask for help, what's discouraging when the people you thought would help you won't. But do you give up? No, you don't give up. Why? Because you sense God's approval. So you better keep moving forward. So what's in trouble? What's your problem? Maybe your marriage is in trouble. Maybe your family is in trouble. Maybe you're financially in trouble. Well, nine out of 10 times, you you just can't do it alone. And if you just ask for help without acknowledging that you can't do it alone, then you're not going to appreciate the help. It's like this. I I talk to uh, married couples, they come in and the wife usually comes in first and she says, well, you know, uh, we need help in our marriage and you really got to help my husband. And, uh, you know, he, he, it's just a bad situation, very unhealthy. Um, Will you just call him up and tell him to come here? I'm like, look, I can't help anybody if they don't want help. Uh, Parents call me and say, hey, will you help my wayward teenager son? I'm like, does he want help? No. Well, then I can't help them. Um, When you come to a place when you know that you can't do it alone, that's when you can get some help, when you know you need somebody to help you. So when do you ask for help for your marriage when you know you can't do it alone? When do you ask help for your family? Maybe you've got a blended family. Maybe you've got an adoptive child. Somebody's been there, done that, and got the t-shirt. And they've already been down that journey and all that on that road. And they have this thing called wisdom, which gain, they gain through life experience. You've been through a divorce. You need to walk through healing. Meet with a Christian who's been through a divorce and is, he's healed. You're an alcoholic. Don't go hang out with another alcoholic. Hang out with somebody who's sober and celebrating sobriety for five to seven years. You can't do it alone. So the issue is, is Nehemiah knew he couldn't do it alone. My question is, are you at that point? Can you say, this problem, this trial, this issue, I want to ask for help, but can you acknowledge that you can't do it alone? Once you do, that's when you go ask for help. Number four, when do you ask for help? You ask for help when you are willing to do your part. When you're willing to do your part. When you're willing to do your part, that's when you can actually start to see something come together that the Nehemiah says that even I and my father's house have sinned. When you're willing to do your part, you're, you're doing something to show that you're in it, you know? And so Nehemiah says this in, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5. He says, listen, if it pleases the king and I've found favor in your sight, he says this, would you send me? Would you send me? And that's the, the passage that we get from Isaiah when the, Isaiah hears from the Lord and he says, whom shall I send, the Lord says. And the Lord says, and then Isaiah says, here I am, send me. When you're willing to do your part, that's when 
you can actually, you, you got some skin in the game. Um, it's like the story I've told multiple times, but in different fundraising efforts that we've done uh, throughout all of my ministry, my wife and I, through campaign evangelism with the Luis Palau team, to planning the church and all that, you, we're raising money to, to uh, accomplish big projects and visions. And then here's the question all the donors ask, are you in it? Are you personally invested? You know, that's why I tell our staff, if you want to be on our staff team, you got to tithe. Why would we tell our church to tie, but we don't do it? I remember sitting one time in an elders meeting in one of the largest churches in the country, and there was a very dysfunctional elder team, leadership team, and they're all griping about who, how the church isn't giving financially. And then a strong leader spoke up and said, hey, I just got a question for you guys. How many of you are financially tithing and giving above and beyond the tithe? Nobody raised their hand. And then he said, could it be that God could just, this is the natural result? Don't leaders have to lead by example? Don't people have to put in some work themselves if they want to see some progress in whatever issue or struggle they're in? If you want help, you got to be willing to do your part. You can't just expect help. This is where the concept is for us as a church that we want to help people, right? But we're not a church that just does handouts all day long. We want to give people a hand up in life, not a handout. We don't need more handouts in the world. We need hands up. And you can ask for help when you're willing to do your part. And then uh, lastly, I would say number five, when do you ask for help? You ask for help when you know it's going to bring God glory. When you know this is going to bring God great glory. Nehemiah did that. In Nehemiah chapter 6, 15 uh, through 16, he basically says that the nations around them, the surrounding countries, were acknowledging that how good and great God is and how they helped. Uh, it, God's favor was upon them. In John 17, when Jesus prayers the high priestly prayer, he talks about the glory of God that happens when the church and believers come together with a common purpose and passion. In Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks about the glory of God working in and through the church when the church is mobilized together. And so I think of our own church, and kind of a cool story is, is when we launched out a discussion about whether we were going to go to Mexico or not, we prayed about it, and we talked about it as a staff and an elder team, and we're like, man, I don't know, it's a pandemic, the borders have been closed, like, could we go? And then we asked the question, what's the need? How could we help? called down to uh, Scott with I-68, and he said with a deep heart of conviction, he said, Ryan, uh, you know what's sad is that the beaches are filled with tourists, but nobody is coming this year to build a house. And I said, man, that's a bad report. So I went back with the staff team and the elder team. We talked about it and prayed about it and said, let's just go for it. We know this would bring God glory. We know that this could bring God great glory to do this in a time like this. Leslie, I told my wife, I said, sweetie, we don't have a missions coordinator right now. Would you basically do like a, uh, a turbo campaign with us to help mobilize a bunch of people real fast? Normally, we take months and months in these projects to do this. She said, you got it. She's a team player. So she did it. And, you know, just the other day... Uh, uh, Scott sent me an email and he said, Ryan, uh, I, I met the family and I shared with them the news last Thursday. 
Last Thursday, the news came to this family that their lives were in ruins, that there's a church called North Valley Community Church that's starting to pray and is already prepared to come down and help them build a house. And he said to me, he says it was amazing. Let me show you a picture of, of the family. This is the Hernandez family, sweet family. They've been married seven years, and they got a little piece of land. And uh, they qualify to build a home, that we could build a home for them. They didn't have enough money to do it. A lot of these folks are living literally in shacks. We're going to build a home for them. Um, Jose is the husband. He's 26 years old. Concepcion is the wife. She's 26. Diana, she's five. Luis, he's four. Uh, Martiza is two. And they got a fourth on the way. What's amazing about this is that we're sending the largest mission team that we've ever sent out of North Valley. And 120% of the funds have already been raised through your generous giving and your sacrifice. So thank you. So this brings glory to God. Amen. Isn't that sweet? And so I'm going to challenge you to rethink spring break from here on out. If you can't do this year, next year. Rethink spring break. I think that we will find that the quality of our life is based upon not what we take out of the world, but what we add to the world. That the quality, the joy, the happiness, the success, the, the thrill of life, a full life to the fullest is based not on what we take out of this world, but what we put into the world. That's good stuff. That's the glory of God. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do is to get healthy and to get right and don't be ashamed, but you need to ask for help. That's your next step. Just ask for help. Um, we all need to kind of come along. I remember when Leslie and I uh, first came into Arizona, there was a great group, one of the most uh, influential church planning groups called Vision Arizona. Um, and they said to me, Ryan, we want you to work with us and plant a church with us. And you're, uh, they had A, B, and C level church planners. And I was humbled and honored. They said, you're an A. And I said, great, I'm an A, great, a lot of pressure. So I'm an A planner, and so they're going to sponsor us with a, a significant amount of uh, startup cash in order to help get the church going. They're going to support us at the highest level. And then they said to us, but you need marriage counseling. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, have you talked to your wife? Like, she, uh, she thinks you do. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So for like a year... We're in marriage counseling, and as we're starting the church, because it's, it's always interesting. I mean, guys are always off. I ask guys, I say, how's your marriage on a scale of one to 10? 10 being awesome, one being terrible. They're like, seven, eight. And then I'm like, let me ask your wife. Hey, how do you think the marriage is? One to 10, 10 being awesome, three. I'm like, did you hear her? Did you hear what she said? She said a three. There's a big gap. That's where Leslie and I were. I had to ask for help. Uh, when we first got married, I, I didn't give. I wasn't as uh, generous as she was. And I didn't know how to build a financial roadmap. 
I didn't have a budget. I just made money and spent money. So I felt it was hard for me to give financially. And Leslie says, we need help. So we get help. You need to ask for help. Maybe you're in trouble right now. Maybe your house is falling apart. Maybe your life is falling apart. Well, one of the things that we have at our church is really, really cool. Just spread the word. We have this thing called the CARES team. And if you need help physically, financially, um, in any way, help. You need help. You can contact our CARES team. You can text right now, NV uh, help, help, to 94090. And if you don't need that help, maybe you see a neighbor that needs help. Maybe you see a friend who needs help. What if there's a single mom who lost her job and needs a car? This church ought to get that car. If they genuinely need help, let's figure out a way to help. If they're falling behind, I remember a story of a young lady, a young single mom in our church who was struggling and, uh, through transitions and trying to balance kids and pandemics and starting a business and, and shutting down a business and transitioning a business and high-capacity high, uh, people are in this church and all of you are struggling with stress and anxiety because you're high-capacity people. And what you'll do is you'll try to help yourself with pills or drink or whatever be the case because you're trying to fix yourself. That's the wrong medicine. The right medicine is Jesus and God's people. That's, that's the right kind of medicine. And when you reach out and you ask for help, it's there at this church. We're not perfect, and, but you need to ask for help. So remember this, ask for help. It's not easy to ask for help. I acknowledge that. Not everyone is going to uh, help you. But let me tell you this. Many times you do not need a miracle in your life. You just need somebody to help. You just need somebody to help you. You don't need this magnificent miracle. You just need somebody to help you. So I remember this story in closing out, the story of this uh, preacher. He, he's, uh, uh, he's at his church and the flood comes down and this rain is filling up and people are nervous and there's evacuation plans and people are starting to freak out. And all of a sudden the preacher's out the front porch and he sees this guy on a canoe just go down the street. And the guy in the canoe says, hey, preacher, you better get in the boat. Water's rising. He said, no, son, I'm going to pray for the Lord to deliver me today. And the guy says, all right, preacher, see you later. All of a sudden the water started to rise even higher and higher. And so the preacher crawled on top of the roof because the water's coming up. And all of a sudden a guy in a motorboat comes by, stops by the church, says, hey, preacher, you got, you, you're going to lose the church. You're going to die. You're going to drown. Get in the boat. Preacher says, no, I'm praying God's going to give me a miracle. He's going he's to save me, save this church. No, 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 I'm not getting in. All of a sudden, the water keeps rising and rising. The levee breaks. Preacher crawls on top of that steeple, and he's hanging onto the cross. And a helicopter flies by. The search and rescue team says, preacher, grab the rope, grab the rope. You're going to drown to death if you don't grab the rope. And the preacher says, no, God will save. God will give me a miracle. Sure enough, preacher man dies. He drowns, goes straight to heaven, and he's waiting on his time with the Lord, and then he meets the Lord, and he says, Lord, how come you didn't save me? The Lord says, man, I tried three times. I sent three times to save you. What are you talking about? 
See, that's the thing. Sometimes you're waiting on a miracle. You don't need a miracle. You just need to ask for help to the person right beside you. That's how God made the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have brought everybody here in whatever trial, struggle, project that seems too big. Lord, I pray that you give my North Valley friends and family today the courage to face those difficult problems that are before them. I pray that they'd have the faith and the presence of mind to come before you, before anybody else, and trust you and provide others in their lives, Lord, to help them. Give them favor when they make the ask. Give them courage and faith to believe that no problem is too big when you're at work. And when there's teamwork, Lord, we know that you can make the dream work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.